The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Hello and welcome to What Catholics Believe. I am your host, Thomas Nagley, and with me tonight is Father William Jenkins. He's a member of the Society of St. Pius V, and he's also the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church right here in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you? Much better. Thank you, Tom. Good. How are you doing good. tonight? Well, Father, thank you. Thanks for asking. Good to have you back. Well, thank you. It's good to be back. Yeah. Father, I've got a lot of great emails as usual. First one is from a viewer who says, I enjoy your show very much, but I have a deep concern. I received all of my sacraments in the Novus Ordo Church, including baptism, penance, Holy Communion, and confirmation, but I discovered the true Catholic faith at the age of 35. Do I need to be rebaptized or receive any of the sacraments over again? Please help me with this dilemma. Well, as far as the baptism, you want to make sure the baptism is valid. And uh, for that, you'd have to talk to a real traditional Catholic priest who could get the information or tell you what information he needs, you know. Uh, whatever evidence you have uh, that would say that the, uh, the correct matter and form and intention were applied would be important if you have godparents who can uh, even today swear to what was done, you know, what they witnessed, that would be good. Your own parents, maybe there's even a videotape of the baptism. It would give you an indication of what uh, the correct matter, uh, of course, is the pouring of the water right over the head, and the correct uh, form is uh, in the Roman rite. I baptize thee in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. <clears throat> and uh, the intention, of course, is at least to do what the Church does when she baptizes, right? Even if one may not be clear on that, but that one has to have that intention to do what the Catholic Church does when she baptizes. Of course, the church intends to uh, take away original sin, to give the life of sanctifying grace in the soul. Um, to the extent that one can uh, establish that the water was poured as it should have been, that the words, the, the form, which specify the meaning of the action, uh, were stated uh, correctly, and that the intention at least was not... Uh, you know, uh, denied. There was no contrary intention that would give one confidence that the, the sacrament was valid, right? But of course, if there were any doubt, even a slight doubt, uh, to have a, a conditional baptism would be a very easy thing to do. Um, so it would be the it would, would be the thing to do, the right thing to do. Okay. So as far as the other sacraments, uh, yes, as far as well, they, they can't, would, can't repeat their first Holy Communion, but they would just have to, uh, having been certainly baptized, then receive Holy Communion correctly. Uh, the true Blessed Sacrament and a true traditional Mass given by a true traditional priest. And as far as the Sacrament of Confirmation, yes, the Sacrament of Confirmation has been so changed by the Novus Ordo uh, as to really signify something different. It doesn't signify the same meaning as the, tr the traditional sacrament of confirmation. Uh, 
And so Monseigneur Lefebvre himself would travel around and not only confirm, absolutely, those who had never been confirmed, but he would give conditional confirmation to those who were confirmed in the new rite of the modernists, <clears throat> just to be certain that we're validly confirmed. The sacrament of confirmation is one of those sacraments uh, that cannot be repeated, because like baptism and uh, holy orders, it imprints a character upon the soul. So it would have to be uh, given conditionally if there was any a serious doubt as to whether it was received validly in the first place. And with the new rite of confirmation, that doubt exists. So okay. that would have to be changed. And I've, so anyway, I hope that does answer the question somewhat. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, Father, the next email is a bit of a response to the recent program where we talked about the 40 Holy Martyrs and their recent uh, feast day. And this uh, this viewer writes in and says that uh, it is my understanding that the 40 Roman soldiers were asked to renounce their Catholic faith or be punished with death. Obviously, they could not renounce their faith, so they chose death. However, the option that they were given as to the manner of their death is tantamount to committing suicide, which is a grave sin according to Catholic teaching. So why cooperate with those who would impose such a death sentence by helping them? It was not tantamount to suicide. They were formally condemned by the, the supreme authority of the state at that time, and they were going to be executed. And uh, so, I mean, one could say that about virtually any of the martyrs, that he had the option to try to run away. Mm -hmm. And if he didn't run away, that he was therefore cooperating in his death, and committing suicide. Um, so I disagree with the premise that says that there were ten, it was tantamount to committing suicide to lay down on the lake as ordered under guard to do um, any more than it would have been uh, tantamount to committing suicide for a martyr to, let's say, allow himself to be lashed to uh, a pillar to be scourged to death, right? Or allow himself to be nailed to a cross without resisting, as our Lord did. Um, I think this, the same, if I, if I understand correctly what, what he's thinking, uh, he might try to make the same accusation against our Lord, tantamount to committing suicide, yeah. for allowing to happen what happened, even waiting for the soldiers to arrive in Gethsemane to take him, um, and not using his power to prevent it. So. Uh, and even stopping Peter from, you know, telling Peter to put your sword away, I don't need your sword. My father would send 12 legions of angels to my aid right now. Um, but he didn't, right? So I just don't see the argument that that was tantamount to committing suicide. Well, when one is condemned by the supreme authority of the state, however wrong and unjust it is, right? That one is under a death sentence there and to, uh, Accept that death sentence unjustly um, rendered is not committing suicide. Okay. All right, then, Father, I would like to get into a uh, bit of an interesting email that we received recently. So there's several questions throughout this email, but in the beginning, this viewer asked, why do you not leave your church unlocked for people to be able to come in and pray? Don't you think that the most charitable thing to do would be to have a guard there? And uh, that way, persons will be able to come in and pray at your church. Well, if, if we had a guard who could be there 24 hours a day, seven days a week, uh, I suppose that would be 
uh, a nice thing to do, but we don't. We can't afford that. And even if we did, uh, I don't know that that would really be the solution anyway. I mean, in the old days, when I say before Vatican II and when there was law and order and decency taught in our schools and a generation grew up having respect for God and for authority, genuine authority, uh, one did not have to lock the churches. The churches were left open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Now uh, we can't do that. We have an obligation to protect the Blessed Sacrament. I will say this, I mean, if we if we do have the church locked uh, and we know someone who really wants to come and pray at the church, we'll open the door. We'll just stop what we're doing and go open the door for them and have them in, let them in. But even there, you know, I, if I have a woman in the church alone praying, I'm concerned. I'm concerned that uh, who else might come in with nefarious attentions and tensions. I mean, uh, we've already had several robbery attempts, not just attempts, actually successful robberies, successful for the robbers <laughs> until they were caught, um, in uh, making off with the, the so-called poor box, the offering, the alms box, and raiding the, uh, the uh, votive candle racks, and, sometimes, and even at the danger of setting fire to something at the church. So we have an obligation to protect our Lord and the Blessed Sacrament, and we have an obligation to protect, uh, to protect those who actually do come and pray. I can't, I can't have the children of our school coming over uh, singly or in small groups and praying as they want to do during the day, uh, fearing who might be hiding anywhere in the church. So we do have to maintain a certain control over <clears throat> who has access to the church. For the sake of those we know who are there for legitimate reasons. So we simply can't leave it open day and night. And we can't have it under armed. Well, these days it would have to be under armed guard mm -hmm. <clears throat> just because of the, just because of the wonders of our liberal socialist society and <laughs> uh, that have no respect for God or man. Right. All right, the next question, Father, from the same email. Do you not realize that the Russian consecration has already been done? This was done by Pope Pius XII in 1952 in a letter to the Russian people. My lady stated that it would be done late and never stated that it would be done with the bishops. So, Father Jenkins, do you not realize this? Well, not only do I realize it, I've been saying it for a long time, over and over again. Okay, so whoever is asking if I don't realize that, obviously, is not really paying attention. <clears throat> but I will say this, though. In 1929, Our Lady did say to uh, Lucia that the time had come for the Pope to consecrate Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, and he would have to do this, the Pope would have to do this with all of the bishops in the world, in union with all the bishops of the world. That consecration has never been done. Some people make a mistake in saying that Our Lady prophesied that that consecration would be done when she spoke at Fatima. But the text of uh, Lucia's account of Fatima tells us that Our Lady said, the Holy Father will consecrate Russia to me, but it will be late. But uh, Our Lady did not say that the Pope would, in fact, consecrate Russia to her Immaculate Heart in union with all the bishops of the world, as was explicitly required by Our Lady's apparition to Lucia in 1929. Okay. And that's, that gives rise to many questions. Mm -hmm. 
to which there is much, uh, in answer which there's much speculation as to why Pope Pius XI did not make that consecration. Mm -hmm. uh, considering the heroic man that he was, uh, although unfortunately subject to influence from people who are not nearly as Catholic or as or heroic as he is, mm -hmm. as he was, um, nonetheless, he was very brave and was standing up against the uh, invading Bolsheviks while he was the Apostolic Nuncio in Warsaw, Poland in 1920. Um, and he led the spiritual resistance to that demonic invasion of the Bolsheviks. And one needs to read about the miracle of the Vistula, the miracle of the Vistula, to really appreciate the significance of what Pope Pius XI did. When as an Archbishop Nuncio, he stood with the Polish people against the invading Russian bear. Um, so this man was no slouch. I mean, he, he didn't make serious moves against the, the communists. You know, in 1930, he said that the Leonine prayers would now be for the conversion of Russia. And in 1937, he issued uh, the encyclical uh, Divinity Redentoris, condemning atheistic communism and socialism in all its forms. And so he was not reticent in his condemnation of uh, the communists of Russia. And yet he did not complete, he did not carry through on the command of heaven through Lucia to consecrate Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary with all the bishops of the world. Now this writer is correct in saying that Pope Pius XII did so, July 7th, 1952, in an apostolic uh, epistle to the, all the peoples of Russia, Pope Pius XII did explicitly consecrate all of Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. But that was the Pope alone acting, well, it was actually, uh, you, you could actually say it was a form of motu proprio insofar as it was an apostolic letter that he wrote personally. One might argue, well, when the Pope writes like that, he writes on behalf of all the church. So he he certainly uh, wrote on behalf of all the bishops, but it wasn't explicitly stated so. Right. One cannot argue that that was the fulfillment of Our Lady's command in 1929. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right, well, Father, final point from uh, this email. Interesting final point here. She says, Father Jenkins, why, when you answer questions, is it a big, long talk? Can you just not cut to the point? Half the time, it seems you never do answer the questions. You confuse the issues and do not plainly state the church's teachings on the matter. You never refer to papal bulls or councils that are infallible teachings. One can't just simply go by a catechism because they are not infallible and have errors. One big error is that most believe in baptism of blood and baptism of desire, which is heretical. Why, Father Jenkins, don't you have a debate with the Diamond Brothers? I'm sure you are not up to it because they would simply crush your position. They state that you there in Cincinnati will not answer them and they cannot get a hold of you. Why do you not debate them? I would like to hear back from you uh, because, Father Jenkins, you do not hold the Catholic faith whole and entire as so many councils state you must do to be saved. Well, let's see. Where do we begin here? <laughs> Why do I... Uh, if she's asking why I uh, cover a lot of ground, get answers, hopefully. Um, I'm not usually briefed well in advance to prepare a concise answer, so I'm just 
often responding on the spot, you know. And um, I'm sure she could do better, or I presume it's a she. It sounds like a she. Uh, nothing personal, but it does sound like that. But uh, I would say that if she can do better, then more power to her. But uh, just trying to respond to the question as completely as I can. Um, and, and sometimes when people ask questions, um, you know, it, it's a kind of an open-ended question yes, uh, that requires uh, that you not leave it sort of half-answered. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so sometimes you have to go into a little more detail than you'd like to otherwise. But in any case, as far as the Diamond Brothers, so-called, um, um, converts, right, but evidently lacking in their uh, foundation in the faith, uh, they take texts, they uh, actually take texts of documents out of context uh, and twist them to serve their own purposes, okay? And uh, I would just say this, as far as debating them, um, I would say the only difficulty in debating them would be that they are very uh, oily and slick and in their use of term terminology, and um, it, it would be, in a sense, like trying to, uh, shall we say, trying to arm wrestle Houdini, you know, who's got all, all kinds of tricks going on here, um, under the table sort of things. But nonetheless, um, if the Diamond Brothers have been trying to reach me, uh, they must not know how to dial a telephone. Um, because, um, I mean, I'd be glad to give them my number and be glad to answer the phone and be glad to make an arrangement with them. But I have absolutely no evidence of any kind that in all these years they have ever tried to reach me for any reason whatsoever, <clears throat> uh, let alone a debate with them, okay? So um, if they, if this lady has been told by the Diamond Brothers that they've been trying to reach me to set up a debate, I would say that, um, well, I think it's absolutely false. <laughs> it's not true at all. I think anybody who really knows me knows that I'm willing to debate just about anything, or anybody, not anything, but <clears throat> I've been trying to arrange for uh, such uh, conversations with, if you want to call it that, with Society of St. Pius X priests. I've made efforts to do that. They will not do so. I have not found one yet who actually has followed through to make a meaningful conversation <clears throat> possible. Um, and um, also with uh, others, uh, with the Society of St. Peter, Fraternity of St. Peter priests, and others, but uh, certainly the Diamonds, um, there has been no, no, uh, initiative on their part whatsoever, of which I'm aware, to contact me in any way, and uh, certainly not to set up any kind of a discussion, uh, public or private. Um, so that's about all I can say. Maybe this dear lady would like to make that happen by holding them to, if they're telling her that, by holding them to their word, but mm -hmm. I'd be surprised if she could convince them to do that. So you're not afraid of the Brothers Grimm, Father? <laughs> the Brothers Grimm. Well, unfortunately, they've, they've earned that title. <clears throat> and no, nor the, nor the Big Bad Wolf. Nor the, <laughs> okay. And by the way, it's not because I'm, you know, smarter or whatever. It's just that 
I mean, the truth is the truth, okay? And, and um, if we believe that we, we have the truth, we believe that what we're saying, what we believe is the truth, then we should want to take every opportunity to uh, speak that truth to others. You know, our Lord talked about preaching it from the housetops, right? So um, I don't think we should be reticent about that. And that's why I could never really understand why when efforts are, are made and offers are extended to get together and talk about these very important things, that there's such an absolute refusal. Um, I mean, I've contacted priests who held the uh, Fenite position on baptism of blood and baptism of desire and just <clears throat> ask them outright, you know, uh, what, what is it exactly that you believe? I'm hearing this and I'm hearing that, but I think I owe it to you to ask you personally. And if somebody were to be hearing uh, from others that I believe this or I believe that, I would much appreciate hearing directly from those who were told such things. I'd appreciate hearing from them directly, asking me, what do you really believe? For example, you know, uh, the Pius X Society has been blasting uh, our priests uh, with, you know, sedivacantes, everybody's sedivacantes, 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 you know. But no one, none of them has ever asked, actually asked me what I really believe. And I've actually tried to explain it to him because they're not even interested mm -hmm. in hearing. They'd rather just go on and, and use that, uh, that uh, you know, a, a word to, to kind of like a boogeyman to scare people off, you know. But when you actually try to explain to them uh, the, the, the nuances of it and what, it, what you really, really believe, they're not interested. That to me is fundamentally dishonest, you know. So when I extend that to another priest and I say, Father, I'm hearing that you stand for this and stand for that, and I think I owe it to you to ask you directly, and I don't, I, I don't receive any response from that priest. He adamantly refuses to answer. I find that wrong. Hmm. Uh, I can't understand why a priest who had convictions would not stand up for those convictions. Father, along those same lines, I remember a discussion I once had with an SSPX uh, faithful and they, uh, I, I asked them, you know, about this this um, hyperbole that's out there about the Society of St. Pius V priest, and there were all, all these um, various rumors floating around, and I confronted them about some of them and said, you know, this, I've known Father Jenkins for years and years, this is certainly not true, and asked them why in the world they would believe, subscribe, and, and even um, tell others about these these things. And they said that um, with your position on state of and you being against the uh, Francis and the, the modernist papacy, that any hyperbole that came about from that was deserved on your part because oh, of... Even the, if it's not true. Even if it's not true, oh, okay. because of your position on there. So any any anything there, it's your so fault. So any slander that is directed is certainly well-deserved. It's your fault because you started, you're so anti-modernist papacy instead of, you know, this recognize and resist. You know, there are a lot of Nancy Pelosi's and Hillary Clinton's of the world. <laughs> and a lot of, uh, I mean, this is the way the, the liberals think. You know? that uh, That's what they, I mean, that's what they're saying about Kavanaugh. You know, well, he deserves this because of white privilege and all the rest. He deserves all the things, all the bad things they can say about him. And uh, again, you know, it all gets down to a matter of truth. And those who 
love the truth and those who don't. Just seems that position amounts. It, it, it's um, almost like the ends justify the means. You know, there's <laughs> right. uh, an evil person, so we can whatever whatever we need to do yeah, to destroy absolutely them. Right. Absolutely. Totally. Totally. Here's of everything under the sun. Yeah. <laughs> but... Vilify your opponent. Right. <clears throat> um, so anyway, um, but I would just say to the. The point of what she's saying, mm -hmm. because she does, she wants me to get to the point, <laughs> is that uh, that the brothers Grimm, uh, the Diamond Brothers, have not contacted me to uh, have any kind of discussion or debate at all. Okay, sounds good. All right, Father. Next email. This viewer says, "In normal times, is it true that a pope could live a very immoral personal life, and yet still remain the pope, so long as he does not teach the faithful anything contrary to faith and morals publicly?" If this is true, I assume the same principle would apply to a bishop whose personal life is immoral, yet does not teach the faithful anything contrary to faith and morals. Is that true, Father? Well, it is true. What, that a bishop would remain a bishop? Right. Well, if, if someone's ordained a priest, he cannot lose the priesthood as such. Uh, the sacrament of holy orders is permanent, uh, you know, the intrinsic character on the soul. And the bishop, uh, insofar as he is raised to the, well, I, I can't say order of bishop because it's not a settled doctrine of the church that it is a separate order, of course, the episcopacy. But one cannot lose the power of uh, the sacramental powers of a bishop by being immoral, right? Mm -hmm. Now, either a bishop, priest or a bishop can be excommunicated, right? He can be excommunicated himself. He, actually by doing something that is, uh, you know, automatically excommunicated by the church. You know? In canon law, there are provisions for this. They can be excommunicated, certainly, mm -hmm. uh, even without a decree, by just certain things they do, right? Um, uh, even popes can go into schism by cutting themselves off from the faithful who are still practicing the faith and refusing to be in communion with them. So, uh, I mean, there are rules about these things. <laughs> um, but in any case, um, St. Thomas Aquinas does talk about this question of an immoral priest, which would certainly apply to the question of an immoral bishop. When he, uh, St. Thomas Aquinas, talks about the legitimacy of, of refusing to attend a mass offered by an immoral priest. So it's not simply necessary for a priest to teach bad doctrine for a person to be justified in refusing to attend his mass. I mean, the, the implication here with St. Thomas is <clears throat> that, uh, that one has, let's say, an obligation to fulfill, but can still refuse to attend the mass <clears throat> because of the immorality of the priest if you were living in open uh, concubinage or with a mistress and led such an immoral life that, that it was uh, flagrant, mm -hmm. uh, he was flagrantly immoral, that one would be justified in refusing to attend his mass even if there were not otherwise an obligation to do so <clears throat> uh, because of the fact that we give great scandal, because mm -hmm. he's giving great scandal. And those who uh, attend his mass um, could be actually contributing to that scandal by their attendance there. This would be true of, a, of an unworthy priest, but true of an unworthy bishop also. Okay. And Father, this question is asked in light of the allegations against Cardinal Spellman 
and um, the in this email they they uh, they contrast Archbishop Took with Cardinal Spellman, and they say in the case of Took, he performed consecrations which were directly opposed to the Catholic faith, always and everywhere condemned by the Church, so much so that it was a public scandal. In contrasting that with the allegations against Spellman, which suggest a secret immoral life and did not come to light until 50 years later. So, Father, she asks, can a closet homosexual priest command God to come down upon the altar? Can they consecrate a bishop? Can they ordain a priest? It seems to me, she says, that God would have no converse with him. Isn't it through the priest's prayers that God comes to us? So would this in any way, if these allegations against Cardinal Spellman were true, would that in any way affect the validity of his mass or no. sacraments or anything No, like it wouldn't that? affect the validity of the holy orders. Mm -hmm that he received, or the holy orders that he used. He could still validly consecrate, and still validly, not only consecrate the Blessed Sacrament, but validly consecrate bishops, too. There's no question about that. Uh, the Church's sacramental theology is very clear on that subject. Uh, the Donatists were heretics in the earliest centuries. St. Augustine fought them mightily, and their argument was that the validity of the sacrament depends upon the state of grace of the priest, the worthiness of the minister, and the church absolutely condemned that, saying that is not true. Okay. Christ does not, um, Christ does not uh, give or withhold the graces of the sacrament based upon the worthiness of the priest. If you admitted that principle, then there'd be no certainty of any sacrament <laughs> ever. What? So, uh, but the point of the sacrament is that. The priest is merely the, the, the instrument, as it were, and the one who actually administers the sacrament or performs the sacrament and the grace of the sacrament, the res sacramenti, is the work of Christ. And uh, St. Paul makes it clear uh, in talking about those who claim they were baptized by Apollo, baptized by Paul, baptized by so-and-so, and he said, look, it is Christ who baptizes through all of these. And Father, does that same principle hold true even if the priest is in a state of mortal sin? Even yes, if, yeah, even that's if the whole point. Okay, even if he's guilty of, of sins of unnatural vice, he's that, still... That is the whole point, yes, okay. it can still be valid. Okay. Right. Um, yeah, that's, that's not a question at all. That's, mm -hmm. Sorry, perfectly well settled. Okay. But the point, if I understood it correctly, that you made earlier, that this writer makes earlier, is that the secret or even, even public sins of a of a, you know, an errant bishop, let's say a, uh, a, um, in a moral, immoral bishop would not nullify the sacraments that he gives and uh, would certainly be on a very different level than a bishop who actually commits crimes against the faith. I mean, there, there are criminal acts that are, that are crimes against morality, okay? And, Homosexual activity is one of those, okay? But there are certain types of sins that are not only sins against the moral law, but they're considered uh, crimes against the church itself. Uh, crimes against the unity of the church and consecrating non-Catholics is one of those crimes. And um, it is um, punishable by an automatic excommunication, most specially reserved to the Holy See. <clears throat> so um, not every not not since every sin of morality is punished that way. Mm -hmm. So um, 
you know, the, the, the crimes committed by a, a deviant bishop would be grave, grave crimes, grave mortal sins, punishable by hell, certainly, and gravely scandalous. But they wouldn't necessarily draw an automatic excommunication, especially reserved at the Holy See. Those are stated by law okay. in the church. Right. Well, Father, and this... unfortunately, to tie the knot, this is what Archbishop Took did. Right. And uh, he did the latter. He did what the church considers crimes against the church, mm -hmm. okay. worthy of excommunication. Right. Well, Father, this next email, uh, I thought this this is rather topical. Um, if you could answer this in light of some of the current events that have been going on. This viewer asked, can you comment on the abortion issue and the severity of it because of the aborted babies not having the chance to be baptized and become a child of God? And why this crime is worse than simple murder itself? Well, uh, in order to get a little uh, contrast here, the Novus Ordo Church has ruled through this, this Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, right? Actually, uh, when, when a Bishop William Leveda, who had been charged, or, or at least was subpoenaed to answer for allowing um, clergy to attack children in his own diocese under his watch. This man was made the head of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith at the instance of, uh, of John Paul II, no less. And when he took his position, one of the earliest things he did was to uh, destroy the Catholic teaching on the limbo of the infants, that the infants who die without baptism, uh, do not they're not excluded from heaven. So this might give us a, a little glimmer of an understanding why the Novus Ordo is not so militant against abortion as we think they should be if they were Catholics. Okay, because um, they, they do not teach that they go to limbo. They do not teach that they're excluded from heaven. Okay, but we do. I mean, the Catholic Church does teach that. And the Catholic Church has to teach that because we believe in Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ, and that salvation can come only through him. And uh, that means that one has to be baptized by the sacrament of baptism or have the, as we say, baptism of desire, baptism of blood, which are not really the sacrament of baptism, but by which God can give the grace of baptism. Now, this is stated explicitly by the Council of Trent's Catechism, okay, that explicitly states that the church is not uh, in a hurry to baptize adults who want to convert because uh, if the adult dies without the water of baptism through no fault of his or her own. And the adult dies uh, with the intention to receive the sacrament and true contrition for his or her sins that the church believes, it's a matter of belief, matter of faith, that that will avail that soul to both justification and sanctifying grace, okay? That is what is necessary to be saved. Now, in, in light of this, therefore, the only way a baby who cannot have faith of his or her own, right? And um, the only way that baby can be saved is by being incorporated into Christ by the sacrament of baptism. And that's why the church has always shown itself so almost anxious that those babies be baptized in a timely order 
In fact, the church in her canon law has stated there at the time beyond which one, the, the one is certainly guilty of mortal sin for delaying the baptism of, it, of an infant because the infants need that sacrament so much. Okay. Now, uh, to deprive them of that is a grave, grave crime, a grave sin against God. And it is not only a sin of murder, right? It is a sin not only of taking their earthly life, it is a sin of depriving them of everlasting life. Too. And it is hard to imagine a crime uh, uh, so, so monstrous as that. Right? But this is what the enti entire Democratic Party is lined up against. They just, the Democratic Party uh, just, on the federal level, has just voted down for the 16th time the effort of some of the Republicans to require that a baby who survives an abortion, and there are those who do, must receive medical treatment to save that child's life. The Democrats have voted that down again. So a baby born alive of abortion must not be allowed to live, must not be saved, must not receive any medical help to live, but we must simply left to die. This is beyond paganism. This is beyond anything the, the worst of the pagans ever did, okay? That's how diabolical this is. That's how what the Democratic Party has become, really. Uh, so much so that even to be associated with this platform is, is inconceivable. You know, it's, I mean, <laughs> how can one even see this as something, as something human? You know, what we like to think of as human. But we know that when human beings fall, they do not become animals. They become devils. They become demons, okay? in their wickedness. So in any case, Tom, this is, uh, this is an awful, awful thing. And I, I wonder why God tolerates this. There must be some people in the world today who are really, really sacrificing and praying hard and, and begging God's mercy to offset the, 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 the horrible uh, wickedness on the other side of the scale, as it were, uh, that God is sparing us. But we're piling up an enormous retribution. Uh, not only are they doing this, we're letting them do this. And so, in a sense, uh, are we not complicit in, uh, in not taking every action we can reasonably and, uh, I will say, lawfully under the moral law of God to, to prevent this evil? Um, does that constitute uh, complicity in the crime? So we have to stop being so complacent and we have to get, get busy and, and really do everything we can, not taking any step that would make things worse because there are many steps that would make things worse. Um, but we have to do whatever we can that gives us hope of making things better. We have an obligation to do that. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that answers the question there. Sure. But. I, I've always thought, Father, that in regards to this abortion issue, it's it's so hard to even find words mm -hmm. to to frame the the sheer evil of it, and perhaps mm -hmm. that's the reason why uh, why why it's not talked about as much as mm -hmm. it should be. You know, just the other day, I, I saw a, a news headline of, uh, I believe it was some nurses, if you can call them that, working at uh, Planned Parenthood, and some of them were giving stories of of failed abortions where the baby who survived the abortion mm. would cry for hours mm -hmm. and they would just kind of leave them there to die as they cried for hours and just leave them to die there and, you know, <clears throat> throw the body on and with the well, rest I of mean, them. Gosnell uh, 
Kermit Gosnell is, is in prison for life, right? For delivering more babies who are alive and then, uh, and then killing, stepping the next, mm. right? So, I mean, what's the difference between what these people are doing and what he did, really? Essentially nothing. Um, they are, uh, they're worthy of the, of, of the penalty that he is now serving for the crimes he committed. Um, but, uh, you know, these people are so wicked and they're so debauched that they blame you and me for opposing their rights. And the whole, uh, the whole society is being dragged down by them into the, into the absolute sewer. Because you hear them talk, these women's marches and all that, the foul, filthy, four-letter words that are just vomited out of their mouths continually. I mean, they are just the most, it's just absolutely revolting and disgusting the way they're talking. And uh, every single obscenity is just pouring out of these women's mouths. And it is so degrading. Um, they're taking the entire society down to hell. Um, why? Well, the, the problem is they're in power. I mean, they they are electing people who are just like them. They're electing. It's like when you when you have a, a good a society of good people, they will elect good people. When the people have become debauched, they elect the debauched. The most debauched people of all are the ones who get elected because they're the ones they admire. Why was Stalin the head of the Communist Party? Because he was the wickedest of all, and everybody kind of admired him for that, you know, because he was so completely uh, wicked. Uh, that that his, his close circle, Molotov and the rest, they admired him for his depravity. <laughs> you know? And that's how it's getting in this country. Um, I'll tell you, um, when you see the, the immorality of even the so-called conservative leadership, you wonder where 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 is the um, where's the voice of the prophet in our land? You know, uh, and uh, if there were the voice of the prophet, how we would be met by the screams of the of the the prophets of Baal? You know, as as they objected to Elias and Eliseus after him. It's uh, it really is going to be a matter of prayer, sacrifice, and. Uh, and action, it takes serious action. But um, we, uh, we have to be right with God ourselves. We have to be in the state of grace mm -hmm. to begin with. I've heard it said, Father, that bad government is a punishment for bad people. Mm -hmm. And I think you can definitely see that in our own country today mm -hmm. where, like you mentioned, the conservative mm -hmm. leadership who, who want to cry about this abortion issue so much and yet um, so many of them, like you said, they lead such a moral lives themselves. And I even see that just on, um, on a day-to-day -day basis with people who get so upset about the abortion issue, but then in their own lives, you can see, you know, they're, they're on that same, they might not be all the way at that end of the scale, mm. but they're on the same scale. And it's sure. like you have, you have the principle and eventually you're going to mm. reach its logical conclusion. Well, I mean, if you're engaging in immoral, impure acts, and you're using birth control and all those other things that give the same principle exactly. that this is all about my personal gratification. Then don't they see that this and, and dressing immodestly as you're protesting abortion at the same time, don't they see that where this all leads? This all leads to a very logical conclusion that if, if all of this activity involving sexual relations, 
If that is all about one's own personal gratification, and that's what the message of birth control is, then the ultimate message is, well, then kill the baby because it's standing in the way of my own personal gratification. The principle has been established already by those in their immoral dress, by those who are using birth control and all the rest. They're, they are actually establishing the principle that gives rise to homosexuality and justifies it, even glorifies it, because it's all about one's personal gratification. That's the whole point, right? Who can argue with that? Once you make that principle, you're stuck with the conclusion all the way up to abortion. And the principle is an abomination. It is absolutely wrong, sure. absolutely immoral. You know, we uh, have to, we, we turn to the prophet Isaiah before, 700 years before our Lord was born. He made it very clear of the judgment of God against against nations, against societies that turn away from God. And he says that they will be ruled by the children and by the effeminate, by the homosexuals. And that's what we've got in everything from uh, Alexandra, Alexandria uh, Ocasio-Cortez, right, being ruled by the children, like, 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 <laughs> like, and every other word is like this and like that, I mean, and by the, and by the homosexuals, and if this isn't, if this isn't America facing the judgment of God, then uh, I don't know what is. So we have a lot to do, and people who are half-hearted about praying the rosary had better become wholehearted about it. Um, and people who are half-hearted about uh, consecrating themselves to the Immaculate Heart of Mary had better become wholehearted about it. And people who are not willing to take up the cross, uh, they have got to be wholehearted about it. Right. Um, and ask our Lord to guide them in uh, not only their prayer, their words, but also their actions as to what they should do, uh, what they can do to stand up for what is right. Right. Father, we, in closing, we often mention the Blessed Mother on this program and her role that, that she plays in all of this. But what about her spouse, St. Joseph? This is the month of March, which is dedicated to him. What can we learn from, from St. Joseph and, and what kind of advice would he have for us? Today? Well, there you have a man of action. Few words, but a man of action. Right. And uh, he, he was the man on earth who was standing in, as it were, for God the Father. That's quite a role to play, <laughs> right? And, uh, but again, he was a very thoughtful man. The one thing in his mind was fulfilling the will of God. So that's why God chose him, because like Our Lady, who was completely devoted to God's will, so she was given as a spouse a man who, again, was completely devoted to the will of God. And uh, so we see that in Joseph, a man uh, who was not given to many words. That might be a reproach to me, I suppose. But, <laughs> but nonetheless, a man who, uh, whom God knew would who God knew would cooperate with the graces that he gave to take care of his own divine son here. Um, now we find that when our Lord was crucified, St. Joseph had died, he was not there. And uh, we find in the world today, St. Joseph is the protector of the universal church. But again, uh, Vatican II, oddly enough, in trying to break the canon of the mass, introduced the name of St. Joseph in the canon, 
not to honor St. Joseph, really, but to prove that we can change this. We can change even the canon of the Mass. So let's get to it, right? That was the pretext they used, the thin edge of the wood to drive into the canon under the pretext of piety to, uh, to establish a bad principle that the canon is not really a canon after all, is it? It's just a Eucharistic prayer. It can be changed, and look what they did. So, um, you know, they, they will use St. Joseph's name to do what damage they can, but otherwise the virtues that he represents, they've left him for dead. It's as though they, they're basically saying, well, St. Joseph really, he's in the past, he doesn't count anymore. The virtues of piety, the virtues of patience and perseverance, uh, the virtue of prudence. Uh, and so uh, now we need the active virtues, the virtues typified by St. Joseph, his purity. Now, these are all things that are not that, uh, that significant. And so as our Lord, you know, faced his passion and death without the presence of St. Joseph, it's as though that, is, that presence of St. Joseph is they're trying to strip that from the church today to leave the church to her own passion. And they think death. But uh, again, they uh, don't understand the power of the resurrection either, do they? They didn't then, they don't now. So we just have to be faithful, practice the traditional Catholic faith and not take any, and make any excuses. Well, Father, I thank you for being here tonight. I appreciate your time. We got oh, through a lot tonight. Well, that's mutual, Tom. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks to all our viewers as well for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady at Fatima to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and to pray and do penance. Thank you and God bless you.